This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out. And it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And, I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside inside of you is brought to you by rocket money i love rocket money you know why because everyone should have rocket money because it just helps you save money how many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money just throwing away money ryan i i found one you and you did it you told me i got rocket money (laughs) okay i found one it i'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on but thank you for finding it (laughs) <laughs> my god it was embarrassing <laughs> yeah because it's like you want to watch some show and you go oh, i have to subscribe to this uh this streaming dev- uh, whatever mm-hmm. and you you start streaming the show you watch it you leave and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month it's, it is embarrassing <laughs> you know 75 percent of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about before i started using rocket money i thought i had you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside.
You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. This is a big week, folks. This is Supernatural Week. A lot of you have asked me to get some of these guys on the show, and uh, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're starting out with a good one, and we're ending with a good one, and uh, that's the way it is. Before we get started and get into it, thank you for listening. Plug in my new show with uh, Chris Sullivan and in love with Michael Rosenbaum and Chris Sullivan. And uh, it's, a, it's a great podcast. I really put, I'm pushing it. I hope you guys like it. If you like this one, I think you're going to like that one. So subscribe, write a review. I will also be signing autographs October 18th in Columbus with Tom Welling. Madison, Wisconsin, 25th of October, November 8th, Austin, Texas, November 15th. I will be in Germany playing with my band Left on Laurel, which we are going to do right now. I'm going to let you know this coming Friday. The album's out, Left on Laurel, Saved by the Ground is the title. You could you could uh, pre-order it now on iTunes Store, or you can, and it's all available on all platforms on Friday. And um, hey, merch and all that stuff, you can go to the Inside of You store. I'm really excited about this. And um, hey, have a listen. At the end of this podcast, we're going to play, in fact, this whole week, at the end of each podcast, we're going to play a song from the new album, and I hope you listen to it, hope you like it, tell me what you think. Right now... Let's get inside. Mark Shepard, great story, talks about the whole crew of Supernatural coming to his wedding. He's an intense, fantastic drummer. His relationship with his dad, it's intense, man. Let's get inside, Mark Shepard. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. You're not married, are you? What do you think? <laughs> God, that's always the fucking question. Why do you think that? Because you're not married. Yeah, I mean, but I think it's obvious. You look at me, you come to my house, you see hockey jerseys everywhere and toys. and well, Hockey players are married. Well, I guess successful hockey player. <laughs> that's true. Oh yeah, he wants you right. Oh, up he there. really wants me. On well, you know, you mind. are the voice. You are at least you were the voice of the BBC, weren't you? I was the voice of BBC America for a while. So why would you want to get close to that mic so everyone can hear how sexy you are? Do you know how I got that job? It was so cool. Uh, if it's okay, let's hear it. like I'm so not the typical actor that goes out and I, you know, I get this and I get that and I do commercials or whatever. I had the worst ever disastrous commercial audition in my entire life. For this? No, for a um, a Coca Cola commercial. They took me to a. I was a lot skinnier and a lot fitter back then. How like, old are you? Fifty four. Are you really? Yeah, I am. Fuck, <laughs> Tyler. By the way, Tyler's here, folks. Uh, Rob couldn't make it today. Tyler's fitting in, so give him some love. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm here. I'm not at home playing video games. So that's is that good. normally what you do? Lately, yeah. What uh, video games? Uh, Undertale. I just played Undertale. Okay. Well, I've got a 19-year-old kid, so okay. he plays stuff like He's that. about yeah, as old yeah. as Tyler. Does he look 54, though, Tyler? Yes. I mean, he, he, if you're telling me that he's under 100, I'm a little surprised. Oh, Jesus. Tyler, it's right, you, you look like you're probably, honestly, I thought you were in your 40s. Thank you. Do you, do you need a job as an agent? Be, I'm not, I, I swear to God, it agent. shot me. You saw my, <laughs> my look was a genuine, like, what? I was born in 64. I was the youngest drummer in all those bands. So I was playing Robin Hitchcock in 1981, 1982. Wow. And you're still touring with Robin That's, Hitchcock. And then going back out years. to go tour with him. 30 some odd years later it's weird oh yeah so i was going to tell you so oh, I, go to, I go to this i go to this commercial edition and uh, i had quite a big i think i was with innovative or something at the time and i went to this audition and there was all these buff surfer dudes and me and i'm tattooed and bright white i'm as white as a human being can get most people from england are pretty white yeah yeah mostly irish so so yeah. it's an interesting thing <laughs> so <laughs> they were like so the, the girl's got a head cold she goes okay everybody take take your clothes off i'm like what? So everybody take your clothes off. And all these guys just start stripping. 
I'm like, what is going on here? So I take my top off and all these guys like six, but I mean, Buff. I was, yeah, but I was, I was reasonably cut back then, but mm-hmm. I was like, it was terrifying. I'm like bright red. And she just looks at me and she goes, are you sure you're in the right place? I was like, oh my God. What was it? <laughs> They'd sent me to a, uh, a Diet Coke commercial when they were supposed to send me to a Coca-Cola commercial. And it was a completely different audition. So the Coke, the Diet Coke. They wanted you to take your shirt off because Diet Coke means... Six guys in a boat, some weird thing. I Couldn't you have been it, the guy that drove the boat? I could have been the guy that shot them all and killed them, which is probably <laughs> the rest of my career. Were you mortified? <laughs> I was like, I, would, I went, I'm never going on an audition again. So I never went for an on-camera audition. I don't ever. think I've ever gone for an on-camera audition. Not unless they ask Because me. I always had these, uh, for many years growing up, like in, uh, you know, after college into New York, I, I had these uh, fangs. Like uh, Steve Buscemi Me shit. Too. I had the same. I yeah, had Steve Buscemi stuff going on, and uh, I had long hair and uh, a pleather jacket, so I looked like, you know, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess so. You've and seen his new ad for his new show. He's got long hair, the teeth. Yeah, and the teeth. Yeah, it's great. Well, you know, my my manager, like then in 1999, goes, "Listen, fix your fucking teeth. Yeah, and cut your hair, and you're going to get leading roles." And I go. Oh my, I've never heard somebody be so honest in my life. And that's what you need in this business. Like, Tyler, don't ever fucking say anything bad about my guest again. <laughs> but anyway, I started getting roles because he's right. Thing. Yeah, exactly. No, no, but I mean, I, I, I don't know how much you were. Same exact thing. Yeah. This woman looks at me, and, she, and her and her casting partner looked at me, and she goes, You ever think of getting your teeth fixed? I'm like, I was like, Oh my God. I was mortified because I was doing really well. Everything's going really well. This is years and years ago. I'm like, uh, she goes, you're a good looking man. You want to play villains for the rest of your life? I went and got my teeth fixed. So there are photographs that people present of me from a certain show where I'm smiling and I have dog teeth. Like, oh, I, I have those. Like, and I, I, like, those. I always sign over the mouth. <laughs> you, you're still embarrassed. Still, it's still embarrassing. Isn't that something? English teeth. Mine were because I got punched in the face. And uh, they just started, I just they, I felt like, you know, the fangs started around them because I got punched dead on in the mouth. Bend it back. Yeah, Ooh. they bent. They bent back, and I just was like, you know, when he said it, I was like, you know, I like playing villains. I like playing because it was the same sort of thing. I was going to play odd, weird characters, funny, and I was like, you know what? Let's give this a shot. What's it, what's if I get some teeth that look like they're normal? They're not these giant bucks. Something about Mary fucking right. teeth. Then it's okay. And my my dentist, by the way, Linda Siegel, man, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm throwing her because she's like, she's good. She's the best. You got good teeth, right? They don't look. They don't look. No, to mine. Nor do yours. There you go. So, so don't ever do that again, Tyler. Yeah, Tyler. Fuck, man. A guy with teeth like that, you can't say he looks like... So- 100-year-old. My teeth will last 100 years. <laughs> That's true. They will. I may not. Uh, thanks for allowing me to be inside of you, Mark Shepard. <sighs> we've, we've, ta- we've talked about this for a while. You're like, yes. I'll come on, mate. I'll come do it. I love it. I love the idea. You've got that grammy, that fucking voice. I have that voice if I want that voice. My, my father actually has uh, or had a voice that was an octave deeper. So his voice was in this range. So as an actor, he was always uh, like a, an octave below mine, as you'd say. But now you guys were—I mean, you, you bring that up—and like he just passed. He passed uh, January. I, oh. I brought him home. I, oh, How old? Eighty-six years old. Happy. My dad was always a brain. He was always a mind. He was a—he was an actor. He's in the Royal Shakespeare Company. He's—he's he's in every film ever, somewhere in something from Transformers oh, I, I to know, the Prestige yeah. and to you guys have worked video, every video game ever ever made from you know um, name them Afro Samurai to he was every he was the Colonel in Medal of Honor. Remember all the Medal of yes. Honor guys, Colonel Hargrove. That was his voice. 
So he just he would always do that stuff. He just hundreds and hundreds of things. So Legend of the Seeker, he's the voice. He was in the uh, Doctor Who with Doctor you. Doctor Who. Well, that's because they they said so. When do you want to come over and do the prosthetics? I went. When he just asked my dad. And they're like, do you think he'd do it? I said, of course he'd do it. It's Doctor Who. So I called him up and I said, you're doing Doctor Who. He's like, all right. That was hysterical. So wait, so he was happy, his brain, everything was... No, he was starting, he he had a heart issue um, and he got a bleed. He he told my mom, look, I need to go to hospital, I'm bleeding. And uh, he was getting ready to go and have a heart up, a valve up, and the bleed was going to stop him doing so. He had all the medications to thin his blood down, so they had to take him off all that stuff, etc. Anyway... At the over 80 years old, it's never a good idea to spend too long in a hospital. And they spent about five weeks just constantly trying to work out what was going on. And he deteriorated and deteriorated. At one point, he turned full pirate, which was hysterical because I love my dad being crazy. What was um, he doing? He, he, I Yelling walked, at nurses? No. What the fuck? No, it was worse. I walked into a room of my 19-year-old tattooed son, and there were six guys around the bed. And he's sitting there strapped to a bed, full tense. One eye, he has one eye. It makes him look even crazy, which is great. Why do you have one eye? Because he has one eye. <laughs> Has he always had one eye? Well, no, he wasn't growing one in the middle of his face. But, he, <laughs> but he's always... When he was a kid, they used to... When you're born, they used to use uh, silver nitrate solution to clean placenta out of your eyes or something. And they used concentrated and scarred his eye when he was a kid in 1932. Jeez. And he, he never had sight until he had an eye operation. They tried to give him sight at 25 and it didn't work. So his eye taken out. And that's when he decided to become an actor. It was amazing, like just the weird stuff. He has a really good glass eye. He always had a really good glass isn't eye. Isn't that, wait, stop for a second. Isn't that weird that he decides to become an actor when he has no eye and we've got this fucked up teeth <laughs> yeah, and we're exactly. like worried about mutants. that? We're mutants. Your father has no eye and he's got the balls to go be an actor. These guys take off their shirt at a Diet Coke commercial. He's like, ah, motherfuckers. <laughs> my, dad, my dad was a pirate, truly. It, my dad was Did in the drink mo- like one? He, he, was, he wasn't much of a drinker. I was... Uh, I'm 29 years sober, so. Congrats. Yeah, I, yeah, read, about, my, I read about that. My 29 dad, years. Yeah, it's a long time. But my dad my dad had his two front teeth missing on a plate. And I was like, I, I never knew whether my dad was telling me the truth or not. But he said he was a merchant sailor when right. he was like 17, 18 years old. He joined the Norwegian Merchant Navy because they didn't have rationing. All the British boats had rationing. So he joined the Navy of a country he has no affiliation with and became a Norwegian sailor, which is insane. And he didn't have any tattoos. He doesn't know. It's like, I was going, I, I don't know if this is true. And until I went, I went to the Maritime Museum in Oslo. And, and actually, I pulled him up and his boat and the whole day, and a picture of his boat going under the Sydney Harbour Bridge. So he did all this stuff when he was a kid. And he, and he, became, he was a really bad stand up comic. He was a terrible stand up comic. He's, he's, but he tried it. He copied everybody else's stuff and he gave it a go. And he, and he, was, he wasn't sure what he wanted to be. And then he had the whole eye thing and, and he got really depressed. And then they stuck him in a room, classic, they stuck him in a room with a blind guy and he got very comfortable afterwards. So that's, that not, your that's phone? not my phone. No. Mine's on vibrate. Oh, it's the computer. You just turned the Tyler's sign up. Tyler's fired. Tyler's, fu- Tyler's first day. Two, two he's already strikes. insulted again. Two strikes. He's got, <laughs> well, he's like, that was probably me because the sound's usually off on that thing. But I play a little music on the side, you know, Tyler late at night. <laughs> it's <laughs> muted now. We got it. Yeah, it's I good. love you went to your sexy so. voice for that. I play a little music late at night. <laughs> that I use that when I'm playing music. <laughs> I kind of sound like Val Kilmer from The Doors. Why don't you suck a fart out of my ass all you... Yeah, Do you remember I, that? That's why I never liked The Doors. Did you not like the Doors? I'm not a Doors guy. You're kind of a harder guy, kind of. No, boring. I'm not. I grew up listening to black music, not listening to, to to a lot of white music. I didn't like a lot of white music. You don't like a lot of white music. I didn't. I do now. Oh. I mean, I appreciate the Doors now, but I'm, I get in this huge row because I hate the Beatles. 
sort of massive big deal with everybody that I had. Curtis Armstrong, like, can't handle me. <laughs> well, go, back, wait, go back to the dad for a second. We'll go to the dad. It's easy. Yeah. So I so said, my dad goes and joins RADA. He goes to RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And he's 24, 25 years old, 25 years old. And he goes to RADA and he, and he goes, gives it a go. And he gets in and he's the oldest guy at RADA. They're all like 18, 19. So he's there with all these girls. He's so happy. He goes straight. Did they like the one eye? Did the uh, girls he was, like he, it? He was a, he was Did a, he pick up the ladies with the one eye? He was a jack the lad. He was always picking it up. It doesn't them. matter if you have one eye or, <laughs> you know what I mean? If you have a personality and it's just like, I think that's a big part of it. Well, John Reese davis said, God, your father used to just take his eye and put it in other people's spaghetti and stuff like that. <laughs> Him and Leon McKern, <laughs> they take their eyes out. It's kind of weird. But you get used to it. But I grew up thinking oh, every dad had a glass by the side of their bed with, a, with an eye and a couple of teeth in it. Right. And it's just the strangest, what a great memory of my dad. So you, that, that was true. That, that's what he had. That's what he had. But he had his of teeth his, and, my dad, and his eyes. Yeah, but my dad and my mom worked together when I was a kid. And, and, and Did that fuck you up at all? I don't know. Well, you know. I, I mean, how old were I've you? I've been married four times. So. <laughs> have you really? Yes, I have. You're in your fourth marriage. I'm, I'm and you're my, 54. My last marriage. First time, you were probably married really young. Last time. First time, no, I was 89. How old were you? <laughs> 64, 89, 25. So 25, 35, 45. So 30 years married four times. Yeah. 30, first, one was my green, by four. first one was my green card and I needed to go out of the country okay, and go so and that come back. Count. And she, she also, knew it? She also got me sober. Yeah. So, so brilliant. You guys are Amazing. still friends. I haven't talked to her in years, but she's really successful. She's really happy and she has a, she has a wonderful life. Brilliant. I'm really happy that she was Okay, so that one was the green card. Brilliant. The second okay. one was my pregnant girlfriend that couldn't get pregnant. And, uh, what do you mean a pregnant girlfriend who couldn't get pregnant? Well, I got married because I had health. We have, you know, we work in a great industry that has health insurance when we're working. Right. And I was like, that's okay. I can, I can uh, take care of us. No problem. Let's just get married. So we got married, and and uh, that lasts about ten and a half months. And I have a. Was 19, it ugly? Uh, more recently, it was ugly, but not really. Why would it get ugly now? Because I have a nineteen-year-old boy. And what kind of conversations do you have with the ex? Uh, I don't. I you don't. can't let him do this. Are you? No, 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 no. None of that. We, we were in court for three years when he was uh, 12. So he had a really rough time with that. And I just got through that and got through that past of that. And I was, I had a, a, another long-term relationship that was married. But, and I have a 13-year-old boy from that. And uh, after all that was done, after I was done, I was sitting there. And Supernatural was like, okay, so you've got to be a series regular. I'm like, oh. Season 10? Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to be a series regular. I can make more money and go do what the hell I want. I was doing Doctor Who. I was doing White Collar. I was doing finishing up Warehouse 13. I was doing yeah. whatever the hell I want. They go, so we need you on Friday. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to my son's soccer match. I'm not coming. So I, I literally could do whatever I wanted to. And they were like, take it or leave it. If you don't do it, we're going to write you out. And I'm like, okay, so I just got divorced. I'm like, do I take the money? What do I do? Do I just fold? What do I? And I was like, Screw it, maybe I'll go do it. So I went and did it, and I signed up, and it cost me money. It actually made less money as a series regular than I ever did what? as a guest. Why star. is that? Because you have to pay your own expenses. What do you mean? You're not Canadian. Yeah, but I was getting paid more money as a guest star. Wait a minute, this makes no sense. Why? So wait, you're getting paid more as a guest star. Why, you, why wouldn't you say pay me what you paid me as a guest star? Because it was more than what they paid me as a guest star, but the ancillary. But they paid for oh, your hotel. Uh, yeah. They and paid for your transport, car. travel, everything. And if you live up there, you realize it's like, you know, you're spending 10 grand a month. I did. I did Smallville. I did Impastor up there. Yeah, I know what it's like so up there. So it's 10 grand a month just to function there. Just to function. Flying up and down. And how many episodes? Um, 
I didn't. I never. I never wanted to do that many. I think we ended up with. <laughs> I never wanted to do that many. You sound like me. 11. I don't want to work. It was not that I don't. <laughs> I you really know, the greatest look, we'll talk about it because everyone wants to know about supernatural crap so I haven't even asked you one thing I know, about I know, but this is what we're talking about though what's that this is the one I love that's the, all you talk about yeah yeah no it's all everybody talks about really but they just got picked up for their 15th season I mean that tells you a lot about that show I love the boys the boys are amazing, amazing. all three three of my favorite yeah. people on the planet I actually love everybody I work with there so much so that when I got married to my wife I said to my wife, I said, I can't just go around and pick people to come to the wedding. Can I invite everyone? And she was like, yeah, good idea. So I walked out and sat one day and I said, I want you all to come. To the crew? Anybody who wants to come, please come. And we got married in, in Pacific Palisades on the, um, the week hiatus you always have around Thanksgiving. Sure. Thanksgiving. People changed their plans for their, for their holidays. People diverted their flights. Wait, 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 wait. Jensen, Jared, and Misha came. Oh, yeah, everyone was there. They all came to your wedding. Plus painters, plus grip department electrical. What? It was fantastic. That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. In black tie and gown. Beautiful. Best dressed people I've ever seen. Did the part, was the party unreal? It was insane. I actually picked a band. I'm a musician. I picked a band that was so good, I wouldn't get up and play with them. Who are they? Well, it's actually a guy um, called Earl Alexander. He's a jazz guitarist. And he has a wedding band. That is a 10 piece wedding band with horns. And I went out and I said, Listen, all I listen to is RB. There is nothing. You play one Mariah Carey song on the set, fire the drum kit. I said, you, you, any, you play anything that ain't dirty, funky, sexy, or cool, we're done. They were dancing before food was served. The dance floor was full of Canadians. <laughs> right? Of course. Okay. Canadians. Absolutely. You gotta love them. Absolutely rocking the floor to one of the greatest bands I have ever heard in my you life. You said RB. For what what America calls R and B. Well, when I think of R and B, I think of uh, you know Otis. Yeah, but I think of for me, I think of like the cheesy eighties, like the, No, uh, no. But I like that. No. Yeah, I mean I like the James Ingram who just passed. I love him. Teddy Prendergast. Just once you want to hear the <laughs> Can I finally find a way to make it? Do you know what my you know what my wedding song was? Was it a R and B song? Al Green, God blessed our love. You try okay. finding that's hard to find. So that's a little R and B. Oh, beautiful. I don't know if you'd like the same. You don't like yacht rock, do you? Yeah. I like a lot of things. Do you like like the Little River band? I love Little River. Like band. Friday night it was late. I was walking you home. We got back to the All that stuff for me. I worked in a drum shop when I was twelve years old. I was making records at fifteen on Rough Trade. So I played in bands that influenced every other band. So I played with Robin Hitchcock, I played with the T V personalities, I played with all those bands. I started School of Fish when I came out here. You know, I've always had that weird thing. So ancillary bands, backing bands to Robin were like R.E.M. So those all started. So I know all those musicians in the weirdest way. And then the supernatural thing again. I got sober and I stopped playing drums. I was recording with a band called They Eat Their Own. Great record I did with them. Song called I Need You Like a Drug. And amazing. you were sober. I was loaded. You were loaded. I, I couldn't one. walk. I was that messed up. So you just could not handle your alcohol. I, yes, I could. Drugs I was a, too. I was a professional. I drank my way out of Could that. you function? No. That's the greatest thing in my life is I didn't function. You were like that guy in uh, Grateful Dead. What was his name? Not Jerry Garcia. The <laughs> other guy. The guy that just did all the drugs and died like years ago, years ago. You don't know. Anyway, I, mean, I, I don't know the names of the guys. But anyway, you, you just like let loose. They're like, oh, Mark's fucking shit-faced. No. I'd get faster and weirder. It's just I couldn't handle it because I had years later, I mean, conversations with Robin, it's like, 
He can remember me when I was 17. It's weird when you know people and they know everything about you, but they remember you a perfectly. Way. But they remember you perfectly. And they, it's not a mean thing. He just, he remembers all the good things. He was talking to me one night before we started playing and he was like, he goes, do you ever think your anxiety had anything to do with your drinking? I was like, freaking out. And it was, it was, I, I equated, I played in bands. I played in a band called Light a Big Fire that opened the Joshua Tree Tour at Croke Park. Big Irish band. You too. And another big Irish band, like we fly. <laughs> so us and, and and the Pogues and Lou Reed and you too, opening the first night of the Joshua Tree Tour, which is incredible. And we played to like 30,000 in summer, but this is 100,000 people with 200,000 outside and everybody knows who you are. And, it's, and I just remember being terrified and the, the abject fear that I had and that I was daily drinking because... I couldn't cope with the way that I felt. And yet my drinking was having huge problems physically on me. So by 25 years old, I was done. And I got sober in LA. Um, 2nd of January, 1990. I didn't know it was. But how did you? How do you... <laughs> I had no idea. But let, let me ask you. Started this. on the first. You, you just hit something that like, I want to talk about. It's like, because I get anxiety. And I know a lot of people get anxiety. But so you're saying you had such anxiety that you drank. To cover the anxiety, but how did you deal with the anxiety once you were sober? What um, things did you do? I didn't play drums. I quit playing drums. That was the whole point. I quit playing. Something so, I, so that's done since your anxiety. Since I was twelve years old, I stopped performing. Are you then, telling me I should stop acting? No, I then became. I then I then became an actor because somebody else asked me to. When and I, acting give you anxiety? Yeah, well, I picked the most. Oh God, I picked the. I picked, the, <laughs> I picked the worst profession. Yeah, I don't that makes no fucking sense. I know, but it's like the slight masochist in me is like you know, somebody goes, well, we're doing this play and we try to find everyone else. Do you want to do it? And I went and did it and they said, well, then they went, well, who do you want to direct it? Do you want your dad to direct it? I went, no. They said, well, who do you want to do it? We've got Billy Hayes. The author, Billy Hayes, the author right. of protagonist of Midnight Express. And I was like, yeah, let's get Billy to do it. So he wrote son, Midnight Express. It's his story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's his that's what, that's what he did on his holidays. Actually, the first thing I ever said to him was, I suppose you don't go to Turkey on your holidays then. <laughs> <laughs> He's about this big. Jesus. He hated me at that point. But he, was, he did me the greatest acting favor of all time. I mean, I knew I was doing stuff and I, I'd never really done anything. I was you know, 17. They tried to put me in films and do stuff and it just didn't happen. It didn't work out. I, um, there was a film that they wanted me to do and I came second to somebody else who, who went on to do really great things and then they offered me a film and I turned it down, which was really stupid. And um, I just didn't want to do it. And that's what I'm talking about, the anxiety, overwhelming fear. And you know people. You know, well, how do you feel when you when you say overwhelming fear? What, do you, what are you saying? What, what are you talking about? What are you feeling? Tell me, go through what you feel like when you have this overwhelming fear. If the monster in front of you is bigger than the monster behind you, you run backwards. If the monster behind you is bigger than the monster in front of you, you run forwards. Doesn't mean you feel great. It's just if the fear of not doing it is is less than the fear of doing it, you do it. It's weird. And you find that a lot of people who deal with mental health issues, like the ones I have, used alcohol and drugs to medicate these things. A lot, a lot. And I see this all the time. I've been sober 29 years, as, as I said. And I see so many people that alcohol never was their problem. It was the solution to their problem or drugs were the solution to their problem. And it's because of just not good mental health states and not great treatment. People, And then even worse, you give people pills that were originally designed to work six months or so, like Prozac when it was invented, it was supposed to work six months. And they're supposed to do something else 
with that and people run it for like 10 years of course they're going to drink on top of it and that alters the chemistry of what that does and it's it just becomes chaos right. so we have a city that is filled with people that i've watched from the 80s aa mental health staff hospitals blah, blah. you see you know it's everything from care you know watching you know the carrie fishers of the world or you watch yeah. the incredibly talented people and maybe as we started off talking about these incredibly talented people yourself included who do it, but we don't know why we do it. We do it because we've got to do it. We want to express ourselves. But it is also terrifying to us. It's not only terrifying, but, you know, what's weird is I think I've always had that fear, but usually it was a good fear, like, oh, my God. I mean, I always was before a show, before anything, before a movie. I'm always like, all right, like, you know, it takes me, like, a second to get going, and, like, I'm, I'm in my head, and I'm thinking too much. But as you get older, that sort of that stress, that anxiety – it's not as easy to, to fight off and not have like adverse effects later on. So when you're younger, what I'm saying is you have like your testosterone, your this, your drive, your anything, any anxiety in your way, you'll get through and you'll be okay. You can wake up the next morning, you do it. But when you're in your 40s, 50s, whatever, and you have this anxiety, then it starts to weigh on you because your body's not as strong as it was. It's not as... But I, I had that weight at 25. I had that weight at 25. I can't even 20. imagine that. But the thing is, I look at you. I look at what you do. I watch what you do for years. Love what you do. You're a wonderful you're actor. Too kind. Yeah, but too you've, kind. Got, you've got guts. On the outside, to look at you from the outside, comparing my inside. Why do I have guts? You, you've, you've got balls to do what you do. you got to freaking shaved head on a tv show and you look great and you're unforgettable <laughs> dude you're unforgettable in that role think of anybody i look at what's his name jesse what's his name playing eisenberg i'm like what the hell is that i'm looking at it. it's like a bad impression of you i literally it went I, you know i can't respond to that no you're not allowed to but i'm not allowed to but you you can keep going there's only one person i've ever seen that tops the, Le the lex luther moment of all time gene hackman da -da. i mean it's insane to pull the wig off just to have pulled the wig off is nuts at the end of that. He's, he's my it's, favorite. It's, I love he's him. He's a genius. It's, know, it's a, funny. I was just sitting with the Smallville guys, the Smallville creators, yeah. and then they were just telling me that. It's, it's a hard – look, I I see, like, when I go to conventions with you, and it's awesome to hear all that. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. There was a lot of fear. Thank God social media wasn't around then. Oh, God. You because, would have been scrutinized. Like. Because I, I wasn't aware of what I was doing. I was like, okay, the director likes it. Everybody likes it. I'm playing it real. I'm doing whatever. So I wasn't around like, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? Oh, my God. He's going to suck. He's going to – he's not He's not Lex Luthor. He's like – you know what I mean? I didn't have to deal with that. That probably would have – I don't know if I could have handled that. And first, that was of all, first of all, you got Tom. So you've not, you've not got a Superman that anybody else is used to, right? It's not Dean. And it's not anybody else that we're used right. to. So you've got a completely different format. Now everybody's, it's like more Riverside than, than, uh, you know, the, mo <laughs> the motion picture in that con if it had been that way. Right. And the darkness and the stuff that came to it, it was like, you guys were playing a great game. It was fun. You invented something, which is fascinating. But what I want to say, like, yeah, go you, back to the anxiety. You play hockey. I do ice hockey. I can't play fucking hockey. Well, it's terrifying. You can learn. Why is it terrifying? Well, I played football. I played all sorts of things. I played all sorts of sports, but, 
That takes guts. It's I don't a- know if it takes guts. It just looks like so much fun skating on the ice that when you're young, you don't realize all those other things, how no. crazy it is. So you're just like, I want to skate. I want to shoot the puck. I want to. But I was never that kid. I was never that kid that went out there. You were a nervous wreck. I was fearless. What it was is whatever damage to my psyche happened when I was a kid or whatever you know, narcissistic wound I, I received at some point between seven and, and 15 and 17, I was always chasing something to take away where I was. And that's how I know I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. Yeah. Because that's the difference. I don't do it like I can I've seen you drunk. I've seen you drink. You don't drink like I do. No, I'm not a big drinker. That, that, but no, you no. don't drink like I do. I drink, yeah. I make the papers. You you go all out. Well, I once made the Irish Times for fly That's hard to fly make. fishing fly fishing in a bar in Dublin. You were on fly- a Friday night with hooks. I have no idea. I don't remember any of it. Is getting arrested? No. I was quite popular. <laughs> Not as in a famous way, but as in people felt sorry for me. So wait a minute, so, but then, <laughs> huge people. But then you get sober. But then you get sober, and your life changes in this I amazing got, direction. Yeah, but I got sober. I got sober, and I went back to the bar that I was fly fishing in, and I said, "Are you not drinking now?" Then I'm like, "No." And it's like, you know, we went down a barrel a week when you quit drinking. One bar went down ninety pints of Guinness a week just for one place. Because people would come there to see no, you. No, no, me, and- just me drinking. That's my. Drinking wait, 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 how much? 90 pints, 90, 20 ounce pints. A week? A week in one bar. And I didn't just drink in one bar. That's the only place that so you're lucky to be alive right now. Not from quantity, from stupidity. Did Doing you get in fights? Getting fights? Oh, God, yeah. I'm not a great fighter. I, you I, don't I, care, though. I've, I've picked on six for eight crazy people and you've just got to have the, i'm like i'm gonna die i might as well i might as well take somebody with me yeah you <laughs> so, know that's kind of a thing i once had one of my friends who could easily take me in a fight there's just no question about right. it he's a big guy and i was bald and i was up in smallville and he kept sort of smacking me in the back of the head playfully but i wasn't liking it and i just said hey you know it's a good sound though it was yeah I'm like, <laughs> and i go hey don't do that my other friends are with me and he goes and i go Hey, dude, come on, stop doing that. I know it's funny. Ha, ha, ha. I'm bald. It's cold. You like to... I got And finally, something switched in me. And I remember just like, I wasn't screaming. I go, hey, I'm telling you this right now, motherfucker. If you do that again, I'm going to punch you in your fucking face. And we're going to go down. And you're probably going to kick my ass, but you're going to fucking bleed, dude. Do it one more time, and we're fucking going at it. And he goes, dude, chill out, man. <laughs> but I was, I lost my fucking shit. Yeah. This, so this there's something to say when you're a little, when you, when you go there and someone else is not, they're like, wow, he's really, really I always cool. knew I'd placed myself in those positions. That was the problem. I dangerous, always knew I did Dangerous. That's, it's a sort of, it's a person, it's a self-destructive personality. That's really fascinating. It comes in really useful for acting. <laughs> it does when you can tap into it. If you can tap into that shit, it's hysterical, but it's like, there's the greatest quote. There's two great quotes in acting. The greatest, the, the greatest one I think actually is, is my dad's favorite one from uh, Richard Burton, which a young Welsh actor asked Richard Burton, uh, Mr. Burton, how do you do the acting? It was just a beautifully innocent line. How do you do the acting? And he said, oh, that's easy, son. What you do is you give the other actor your whole heart. If he doesn't give it you back, you kick the shit out of him. And I was like, that's just genius. Because that's what you're there to do. You're there to make it. You give everything you have for every reason you could ever care about. That's Otherwise, amazing. don't do the job. 
Otherwise, don't tell. I'm, I get hired. I don't care what anybody thinks of what I do in that. What I do, but in this context, I don't. Oh, you got a Carrie Fisher chair. That's beautiful. Yeah, she gave it to me. That's beautiful. Yeah, Carrie Fisher gave me that chair. She's it's funny. Like, I was talking it. about it. She goes, I don't want it. Yeah, yeah. She's a dear friend of mine. Oh, yeah. She's a wonderful lady. Yeah, yeah. Get, I'm given a role. They want me to be the most interesting man in the room. Otherwise, they don't give me the role. Why the hell would you put me on a TV show unless you wanted me to be the most interesting person in it? What are you going to have me come in the back and put a tree out in the back and walk off? It's not going to work. It's going to make – it's like, what the hell is that? You know, it doesn't right. work. I've never been that guy. I can't blend in. I can't be the guy that goes, Houston, we have a problem and, and you know, you type the thing in. It just – I've never got those roles. It's never yeah. been that. You have to make an impact. I, it's I kind of make an impact whatever I do. Right. Not, not always well, but sometimes I've been really lucky. So they write stuff for me. So Battlestar and those things are written for me, constructed for me. I'm like, it's mind-blowing to me. And they get this a huge amount of anxiety and panic as you read something. Like they know. And it's like, what the hell? And like, you know, Ron Moore going, oh, I got something for you. I'm like, what? He goes, well, three episodes of Battlestar. I think you'll like it. I'm like, what? And I'm like, okay. it's like, yeah, I don't think it's anything you've done before. It's just genius. Do you get nervous when you get a role? Yeah. Do you immediately go into fear mode? Like, I don't want to do it. No. Is it- no. Are you automatically like, Yes. What well, my friends have written me some of the greatest things I've ever done. Joss Whedon. Joss wrote, didn't write me Badger. He wrote himself Badger. <laughs> well, Did you know that? No. And they wouldn't let him do it. I don't think they thought he was a very good actor. Really? <laughs> well, he was directing it, producing Right, right. It's too much. You know, write the theme tune. I mean, it's, it's just like insane. But here's my baby. See what you can do with it. And it, it's a very different thing. John Rogers, Amy Berg, all those really cool writers that I work with, Narain Shankar, Javier Grisha, Mark Swatch, Ben Edlund, who I love from Tick and Supernatural and everything else. These wonderful, wonderful writers, the, the, the ones that um, Joe Henderson is doing, Lucifer and stuff. He keeps trying to do a thing with me. We, we've missed it two or three times. Yeah, a couple There's, of friends yeah, in that. Yeah, it's wonderful. These things are written. These things are created. Some things I auditioned for. It takes Still a lot. audition. Yeah. Some things I, I, I auditioned for Supernatural. Really? Yeah, it was great. What season? Uh, season five. Ben wrote the character and the first scene is kissing a 70-year-old man under a bridge. I'm like, <laughs> now, I was friends with Kim Manners. I was good friends with Kim Manners in a very different way than most people are friends with Kim Manners. I don't drink. Kim was a drinker. I used to hold his table at the Gerard. And I, because I didn't drink, yeah. I could, I could sit yeah, there with a bottle of Pellegrino. He'd come in with whichever one of his buddies was directing an episode that week and come in and I'd say, come sit down. I'd give him his table. It was just, it was fun to do. And I've talked with him for hours upon hours upon hours for months and months. He's a wonderful man. Yeah. He was a gruff bastard. He was a child actor. Yeah, I never met him. He was a child actor. And then he directed things like 21 Jumps, Jump Street. And he was famous for like calling action and riding off on his motorcycle. I mean, total asshole half the time. But brilliant. I think he's the one that was responsible most for telling the boys what was going to happen. I think that's what the boys always said to me. What Jensen certainly said to me was, he said, you're going to get famous. You're going to, this is where it's going to go. And you can go a couple of ways with this. And they've, I really think it's, it's testament. I mean, the, the boys' families are, are amazing people. I love them lots. They've got great parents and, and great ancillary, their wives and their wives' families. And I know them all. They're amazing people. I knew them before they had kids. You know, yeah. same thing, right? Too, yeah. He was a, Jensen was on Smallville. Of course he was. Of course he was. I know. <laughs> Who wasn't? He was. I wasn't. I never did Smallville. I wish you would have. I never did Smallville. I never did Stargate. Smallville was the only sci-fi thing I've ever done, except, you know, the voice of the Flash. That was pretty much it. That's pretty cool. But you've done everything. No, I haven't. You, it's just that feels You're that the way. only guy in history to do the Supernatural and Doctor Who. Yeah. That's a lot. And it was supposed to be Sherlock, so it was going to be Super Who Luck at one point. It's just <laughs> going to be really interesting. I was going to do something in season two, but it didn't come off. 
and the character I want to play on, on Sherlock, they're not going to do. And that's from Mark and Stephen going like, oh, God, we'd love you to do it, but we're not going to touch it. Right. And it's a particular character that I want to play. It makes sense if, if people know the stories. But so this, yeah, look, this, this whole thing of doing it and supernatural. So Kim, Kim would sit there with me and go, oh, the boys this, oh, the boys this. Season one, two, three. And they're like, oh, they're great. You'd love them. They're fucking amazing. These kids are great. You, you, he was in love with what they were doing and what they were like as, as, as men. Human what, beings? Yeah, just yeah. really cool. And he was a- Really good he was dudes, a, man. He was an asshole to most people he, really? didn't, he didn't like. He, if he didn't like you, you're in trouble. So he was directing me. The first time he directed me and I had a- uh, page and a half of dialogue written by Carlton Eastlake III, who to this day, if I see him, I'll probably punch him in the throat. I wake up in the middle of the night screaming these lines. But I was on second cherry pages, right? So this so, has been changed so many times. Right, and they decide to take bits out of the speech. I'll fucking now I'm kill dead. him. Now I'll I'm fucking dead. kill yeah, him. Now I'm yeah, dead. by the way, I say if you ever do this again, A, I'll kill you. B, you might as well get fucking uh, cue cards yeah. or an earwig because I can't, my mind doesn't can't work delete. like that. I can't delete. I can't, you can't just add a line in the <laughs> middle of something, you fucking idiots. Especially when it's written not very well and it's yeah. all exposition. They rarely did that to me on Smallville, but if they ever did, like I'm <laughs> quoting Alexander the Great and they're going to add a paragraph. I'm like, I can't. I didn't know that shit. So yeah. So the joke is, is I'm looking at this and we run out of time and we've got this candy cane shot around a table with every actor I've ever known in Canada in it. Kim just gets up after one take. I just fluff the middle of a take. Half a page in, three quarters of a page in the fluff. I'm like brain freeze. And he goes, come on. And I turned around to him and in my deepest voice, I went, I am doing the best that I can, sir. Right as all the executive producers walked across the floor. At that time, I was like, it was a very... Was it, your heart pounding? It was pounding, and I was pissed at him. And uh, The first take? Yeah. No, it was second or third run, right, right. and I was like, I had a horrible time on that. And I got it. I nailed it. I finally nailed it. How many takes? About four, five. It was a long... Sometimes it just mark. is a weird thing, it man. It stuck in every place you can imagine. And you know what? Have he, you ever... Yeah. He apologized to me and took me out for dinner, and that's when we became friends. That was the first time wow. I worked with him. And he, he said, dude, we're turning chicken shit into chicken salad. That's what he said to me. I love that. <laughs> it's like, okay. And his philosophies of this were brilliant. And his ideas of the show were brilliant. So I knew about Supernatural, but I never auditioned for it. I'd never been offered to do it. Never touched my radar. He passes. I'm actually taking a, a message. I was doing, what was I doing? I was doing Dollhouse with Joss. And um, his brother Kelly was producing on that. And I was taking a message from Dean Devlin to Kelly saying, Dean wants you to produce the next season of Leverage. Will you go do it? And I, and I said, oh, and how's, how's, uh, how's your brother? And he's like, he didn't know. And he was dying of cancer. And he had him in a hotel there. And I didn't want to go see him because I didn't want to embarrass him. And uh, we'd le always left on good terms. I didn't want to you know, embarrass him in any way. And he, was very, and he passed. And, he, and it had a profound impact on the show and a profound impact on the boys. And then Crowley came up. And I just started giggling. I'm like kissing a guy under a bridge. But did you, you wait? You didn't have to audition for that. No, I had to. That's and what I'm, I'm, and I'm going. I'm going. I'm going in for this. I'm. I'm got to go in for. This. And did you do? Kim's it? been saying, "Go in. You'd love the show. You got to come and do it. The boys are amazing. They're they're great. You love it." You in the audition, you didn't have to kiss anybody. No, it would have been fun though. I, I think I kissed the casting director once for um, Sorority Boys. Uh, John Papsidera auditioned me. John's great. He's I love, the best. He cast me in John? Urban Legend, Pool Hall Junkies, did you Sorority kiss John? Boys. And John, I looked at him and I go, and and, and we kissed. See, I told we you that fucking guts. kissed, and I got the part. And again, he always talks about that. But anyway, so you audition <laughs> for this part, and then you're how many years? Five years? Six, seven, seven, eight, eight seasons. Eight seasons. 
I walked onto that set and the boys were amazing. They were so kind. Because it's very difficult going on a new set and going, trying to fit in and going, and they're cool. Because they they can easily be dicks and like not go, oh, yeah, hi, how's it going? And and they're warm dudes. They're not even dicks to people who are dicks. No. They're not. They're just not. You know who they learned that from? Mark? You? Yeah. They did? But but I always, when guest stars came on, I went out of my way because I I imagined myself in their position and I got anxiety going, I can't imagine you coming in and having to give a speech to me who's been on the show for five years. And I looked at them and go, hey, this is a family, and they started fucking up their shit. I'd be like, dude, I fuck up. All- I would fuck up on purpose just yeah, to show just to them. give it back. Because I just wanted them to be comfortable. But so I see. That's the Prince Charles thing. What was that? In the royal wedding, him and Diana. When she fluffed, he fluffed the next line. Really? Yeah, he did it on purpose. It's a protocol thing. It's a gorgeous thing to do. I think it's a nice It's a gorgeous do. thing to yeah. do. And then they They've fire always had a chance to see me Mark. having to chew, chew my way through dialogue that makes no sense to anybody on the planet. You know what the worst part is? What? How about when you uh, learn your lines, you finally are done with your take, and then when you have to give them to the other people, you can't remember them at all. No, here's, here's the thing. That I'm can't... like, what the fuck? And Tom Welling's like, just read them, you fucking idiot. No, mine's worse than that. Jensen's looking at me one day, and he goes, him and Bob, Bob Singer, kind of. Okay, we don't know why. When you're doing your off-camera lines, you're word perfect. Yep, and that when, happens to me sometimes. And he goes, and when you're on camera, it's like you can't remember it's chaos. No stuff is chaos. Yeah. And and I waited a long time to answer him. I waited many years to answer him. One day, I know what you're going to say, Ryan, and I said, "You're playing the leading man. You don't actually have to say anything of massive import most of the time. I have to say stuff that makes sense to me." To the situation, and everything else. I've got. It's got to actually be real in some sort of shape or form. Reading it is one thing. Yeah. Having it mean something screws in my head. So when I have to say, no one in the history of torture has been tortured with torture like the torture you'll be tortured with. Somebody thought that was funny to write. Try saying it. It's you've, it's got to make sense. You, it comes, you probably said it five hundred times. No, I didn't. I said it one time because I didn't want to let it screw with my head, and it needed to be a sidebar to a whole scene. Of course, the director decides to shoot it massively wide, close to my face, with a massive wide shot, so I'm tied to a second part of the scene. And so I have to turn around to a boardroom of people who are behind me. I'm looking there, an event happens, I turn around, I go, no one in this street has been tortured, but tortured, but tortured, because it's to them, I'll get back to you later, was what it became. And it worked. And the trouble is finding that thing for me, where, okay, it's somewhat real. It has to be real, otherwise it's just, what's the point? You know what I do? What? I've done this where my excuse would have been, you know why? Because you always shoot me last because they're the fucking leads. Yeah. <laughs> or that's one. And two, uh, I'm giving all I got in the beginning. And so by the time you turn around on me, I'm like. You're spent. I'm spent. They've, when I, we did, Do you think that's part of it? No. You don't think that's a no, valid excuse, Mark? Because the boys are, are very generous. The only time- I'm not saying they're not generous. I'm saying in general. I've, Jensen has, has sat out the toughest scenes I've ever had to do. We did the end of season eight, which we shot in sequence, which is mind-blowing. Best thing we ever did. The end of season eight is me being injected with human blood, tied in a chair. And it's it's insane. It's I'm singing. I'm singing Bowie. I'm what talk, Bowie song? Uh, changes. What else? Oh, yeah. uh, what else can you sing oh, yeah. when you're being you injected see, with human blood? Can you sing me the part? No. What was um, it? What, what, what part was it? Just the chorus. Ch-ch-ch-changes. There's an extra ch in there. Ch-ch-ch-changes. So the drummer. face the strange. Ch-ch-changes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you did. You sang. Sorry. <laughs> did you cry on your last day when you when you died and sacrificed yourself for the boys? No. 
You didn't cry? Were you crying out of happiness? You were like done? I, no. I spent two weeks saying goodbye to my friends. I wasn't stupid. There's something called the Botchko rule in television. Stephen Botchko, big producer, yes. creator. The Botchko rule is you never tell an actor that he's done before he's done. Because the type of actors the Botchko used to hire would kill people, blow up the set, not show up, get drunk, start fist fights. Do, I mean, he had some great crazy actors in his time. Not all of them, but a lot of them were heavyweight dudes and, and girls that would literally take great offense to being written out. You didn't know you were going to die? I knew I was going to die. Know. They couldn't tell me I was going to die. So wait, you got there the day when you no, died? No, 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 no. no, I, no. I, I knew this. The, the end date of the series was, the finale was May. I think we shot the first of May. And they had told you? No, they hadn't told me. They didn't tell you this was it for you? No. What they do, I had these long conversations and I said, look, the, the lease is up on my stuff. You're going to need to let me know. You got, I got one more year left on my contract. It's sad for me and it didn't really hit me for, till afterwards and I explained that too. But for eight years, these are my friends. These are people I've worked with as a family and it was, it was shock. I was in shock probably because I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. And I got to the last episode and Bob was directing it and he had a really hard time. I think he had a really hard time either suppressing his anger or not being able to actually have a proper conversation about it because it's just an impossible situation when you, when you haven't told somebody it's definitely not an option. And that, I sort of made it a little easier for him. I said, you know, that's what's going to happen. And I shot what I shot. And Bob had kept me to the last scene. And it was unfortunate. I didn't realize this till afterwards. So he turns to me and he's used to me making speeches or talking. That's what he always used me for. And he said, uh, do you want to say anything? I said, no, I'm good. Thank you. Wait, everyone and went. And I don't know if he thought I was being a dick or not. I'd spent two weeks saying goodbye to my friends. I'd gone to every single person that I knew. You just got a little choked up, didn't you? No, it's, no it's just my voice. But oh, I was, I was No, not at all. Right. There's things that choke me up. That doesn't choke me up. It was a wonderful thing. These people have been in my wedding. These people have shared eight years of my life. We've been in the trenches together. They're fantastic people. And I love them all. And they're really, really amazing. There's no animosity there at all. And the weird thing was, is they wrote the last episode and they sent me the last episode. And I been killed two episodes before but magically i stay alive and there was a problem with that you couldn't kill me and bring me back without the person killing me knowing i wasn't dead because in the law if you kill me you will see me spark out and that's how you know i'm dead and he's lucifer and i'm crowley and that's it and i suddenly magically jump into a rat and disappear and it's so painfully obvious and, and Andrew wrote this last episode and I read the last episode and I, I, it's not for me to do. I have great friends who are writers and I'm not being arrogant or cocky. I hated it. I just generally went, this bears no resemblance to what I want to say or what I want to do. And so I was very, very careful. And I sat with my wife and I crafted an email and I sent it, sent it to him. And I said, with, with all the love in my heart, thank you for everything you've, you've given me. So I appreciate everything that you've done for me and everything you've written me for. Can you just leave me dead in 21? I, I just, I've got to be honest, I don't think Crowley gives a fuck about any of the stuff that you're writing about. I don't think I care. I don't think he cares. What well, was the response? And I did it politely because the man is a, you know, he's a writer. He's a good writer. Right. Like he's a so bad writer. what was writer. the response? He, he wrote, wrote me an email back in the morning and said, don't worry, that's just a placeholder. And he rewrote the entire episode and gave me everything I'd asked for, which was wonderful. So I went to work wanting to do that. And I went to work and did that. And unfortunately, what honestly happened was a couple of executives decided to cut all that stuff out. Did it just break your heart? No, it just made me go, I get it. Now I get it. I said to Andrew, I said, look, when you want to kill a character, do it like Rutger Hauer in, in Blade Runner. And I sent him, I sent him Roy Batty. 
I've seen things you humans wouldn't believe, attack ships on fire off the shores of Orion, you know, that whole beautiful oh, speech. Yeah. And, you, and I know some of the story behind it. I knew Brian James really well, and I know he stole a bit of that from Brian James's speech. The wake up time to die comes yeah. from that. And you know how much work they all put into it. And Eddie, Eddie Olmos is a, is a great friend. I, I said, dude, this is where it's at. And he wrote me a speech that is amazing. And it's like, I've done things, which is what Crowley is. You wouldn't believe I've done and all of these things. And where I should have always lost, I've always won. And I'd called Jeremy up years before and I'd said, I said, you do realize if you write me losing, at any point, I'm never going to play that I lose. I'm going to play like I did it on purpose. Always. He goes, yeah, you always do. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the greatest respect he could give oh, me. Yeah, like, yeah. I always win. But so I put in this line. I got this line. You was, got? I got this line, which was, even when I lose, I win. And they put it in. And it comes to the end. And there's the, you know, those of you who don't want to spoil it, put your fingers in your ears. So if you haven't watched season 12, for God's sakes, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, so I get to the end with, with, with Lucifer. Lucifer looks at me and goes, and he goes, you know, you're going to lose. And that's when I'm like, funny you should say that because even when I lose, I win. And I say goodbye and kill myself, which is like literally just takes the whole thing sideways. Yeah. They cut out, even when I lose, I win. Even when I lose, because it was the only thing that was mine. Uh, yeah, maybe cut it out. Did it kill I, you? That, no, I made a T-shirt of it and sold it for charity and raised money for diabetes. God bless you. What is, did you, did you <laughs> that's pretty brilliant. There's thousands of people walking around with it. Me, my head bowed. But even when I lose, I win. You know, I, that was the same thing for Smallville. Like, people think, you left. I'm like, no, I, I didn't. I signed on for six years. I did seven. And I came back Great. for the series finale. I did what I was supposed to do. And they, I'm sure that, you know, they were upset. And I hear about it all the time. Why'd you leave when you left? And right. I loved the show. I loved everything about it. But it was time for me to move on. That was that. Dude, thank you so much for allowing me to be inside of you. This, I mean, these stories are just incredible. And you have such a great perspective. And I just loved having you here. Let's go do some acting. I'd like to do that. We should go do some acting. We should we make should. some music and we should do some acting. I think we should do all Two of things we love. I love it. <laughs> Tyler, did you enjoy it? Did you have fun, Tyler? Great. It was great. Did, did you record any of it? <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all it, it right there on it the worked. computer. So we're ready to go now. We should do the interview. Yeah. Now we should do your ready, that was, Tyler. That was the pre-show. That's for the Patreon. And then the new thing is. <laughs> ready when you are, Mr. DeMille. Hey guys, thanks for listening to that episode. Right now, it's the first track on my album, Left on Laurel. The album's Saved by the Ground, available um, to pre-order on iTunes. And October 4th, you could uh, listen to it on all platforms and merch is on inside of you. Here is Let's Go for a Ride, track one. Feels like wasted hope. Now I guess I got plenty of time. Supposed to amount to much Always laughing and I said too much Think I'm falling apart right now Getting myself together Tell me
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.